and welcome to another edition of Talking During Movies. We are taking a breath from the doom and gloom from the uh, jaws with paws from the faces of death and we are taking a trip internationally. We're going to have some fun. We're going to learn about travel. We're going to talk about the nuances of travel and what this means and we're doing it all over I think a quite a fascinating movie. Uh, it flew under the radar a little bit but our guest brought it to my attention again. I watched it again and it's it's absolutely fantastic. Before we get into the movie, before we get into talking during movies and all that stuff, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please, please give a warm and gracious welcome to our wonderful guest, Monica. Monica, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for joining me. Of course. Now, Monica, tell people as uh, the, the travel expert guru person, one, how can they find you? Where's your levels of expertise? Where do you, you know, give us a little background on you, please. Sure. Um, so I own, um, I'm a co-owner of Yampu Tours, and that's Y-A-M-P-U. And we've been traveling the world for 23 years looking for authentic, um, extraordinary experiences um, for our clients. And each, each of our clients are different. So everything we do is tailor-made um, just for that couple, group, uh, family, uh, honeymooner, you know, and we tailor make everything and we specialize in tours where you want to discover a country. Nice. Now we pick, you pick the movie, The Ramen Girl. What about this movie strikes close to you? Well, what, the last time I went to Japan, I took a ramen class in Kyoto uh, and I learned how to make ramen and it was really, it was very fun and the people were super nice and so complicated. There's so much that goes into that little bowl of ramen you would never imagine. And so I was inspired when you asked me to talk about a movie to talk about this one because I also recently just made, tried to make it at home. And I think I did a fabulous job and I made a video. And so I really wanted to get out and share that movie. Um, and a lot of people, when I um, was uh, talking about the class that I took, mentioned that movie to me. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, let's hit, you know, make sure it's on mute. Let's hit play in the background here and uh, we'll get this uh, rock and roll. As it gets going, you know, one of the crazy parts about, you know, traveling abroad, of course, is the food aspect, right? And America does a really good job of, bastardizing 
international cuisine from yes. Mexican food to, to, to Italian food to Japanese food. And I think case in point would be ramen because if someone hears the word ramen, they are thinking about that 19 cent pack of sodium noodles that you boil, rip off the silver packet seasoning, right? Put it in there, stir it up. Everything comes, you know, a little loosey goosey, if you will. And then you get it into a bowl. And there you go. You've won. You've made ramen. And that's not really ramen. What is, when, when you're doing, and I bring all this up, and by the way, that's the longest questions. These, my, my poor listeners are like, I know what you're trying to ask her. When you're preparing someone to travel internationally, do you bring up food and dietary restrictions at all or food and the differences of what? Absolutely. Absolutely. And both ways. So for example, I talk a lot about um, the restaurants that I love and, and I put some foodie experiences in, you know, tailor-made for them. Um, I talk about what dishes that I suggest they try. I really take all my experience of traveling to the countries personally and give it to the client so they don't waste time. Because a lot of times if you're in a touristy destination, let's say uh, Venice is a good example. I got off the plane in Venice and I was starving and I went to the first restaurant I saw and -hmm. it was Americanized in Venice. So when you travel even, um, you need to find really authentic places so we we after that experience we only went with our italian friends recommended restaurants after that um so when i prepare a client to travel i want to talk about all the great experiences that they're going to have in food but also in my documents i put very strict uh rules on eating food abroad because i've been traveling with my children since they were six months old Mm-hmm. And knock wood, um, we only had one bad food experience um, because I've always followed the rules. Things like I never let them eat ice cream in a tropical country, you know, like a, a really third world tropical country like Central America, like Honduras or something. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry to mention that country. <laughs> I don't want anybody to be mad at me. But you know what I mean, a tropical country where, you know, they might have a powder power outage and the ice cream will get will melt and then refreeze again so like ice cream was one thing like um that i was very careful about where my kids ate ice cream when we were traveling um i got sick once in Colombia about 25 years ago so i'm careful about fresh cheese um so i i put all of these rules down for clients i usually recommend um bottled water was back in the day and then now People are trying to get away from bottles. Some countries even outlaw bottles. So a reusable um, bottle with the filtered water that the hotel will give you. Mm -hmm. Um, So really careful about what water they're drinking. Um, Being, if you're going to eat in a, and people are going to kill me for this, but if you're going to eat in a street market, I personally am very conservative for eating. So uh, not, not things I'll try, but where I eat it. Okay. So I will have the guide show me where to try things. Interesting. So like my wife and I, we did our, I, I love to travel by the way. So, uh, you know, spend a lot of time in, in Europe and in South America, um, Mexico, obviously our 51st day Canada and uh, over in um, Thailand where we spent our honeymoon. 
and the open air markets that are there, right? I mean, from Bangkok to Chiang Mai, which is very famous for its cooking classes and its excellent shopping, to Koh Samui and the other islands where they just kind of have these fun little markets. And I looked and I was like, ooh, that looks good. I'm gonna try some of that squid. And my wife, she's from a holler in Kentucky. She goes, that ain't squid. That's chicken intestines. And they're cooking the shit out of them right now. That's what's dripping out. And I was like, she just saved me from obviously some horrible gastrointestinal pain of eating something improper. At the same time, then I got to return the favor because she's not allowed to have shellfish. And they eat a lot of bugs over there. Well, the difference between a crab and a cockroach is the name. Their shell, they're still crustaceans. So if you can't eat crab, you can't eat cockroaches. You can't eat crickets. You can't eat those things. Can she eat a tarantula? No. So we're in there, you know, they got this lemongrass stuff. They're just, they're crickets. They're just, it smells so good. She's like, I want to try that. I'm like, you can't. You actually, you can't have that because you'll die. Yeah. She's got that severe of a reaction. So it was fun navigating the waters. And the other thing, because I love hot food. I mean, I have, Monica, I have a passion for hot food that is, that is, it's, it's almost unquenchable. It is, a, I mean, I have different types of peppers in the house all the time. I'm doing different avocado mousses. You know, I'm doing a habanero avocado mousse just to spread on your breakfast taco in the morning. I'm trying everything and the hotter, the better. And we're in, we're in the Chiang Mai. I'm getting this Koh Soi Ga, which is like their uh, red stew. So it's this red stew with big mustard leaves and uh, it's got five or six fried chicken bones. And then it's got some, some, uh, some noodles in it and all these spices. And I go, I want it hot. I want a white guy hot. I want it Thai hot. And they're like, okay, okay, champ. I'm like, seriously, I want it white guy. I don't want it white guy. I want Thai hot. I want the top of my head to just be sweating. I want drip drip all the way down. So they bring it out. I try it. I ask for more spices. And the guy's like, what? I'm like, hotter. So I make my own. He goes, but I loved it. It was the best. So every day I'd get this at least once a day. And I always ask for it hotter and hotter and hotter. Well, finally, I get it where the chef brings it up. He's like, this is as hot as I can make it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Monica. <laughs> My wife thought I was, I lost a bet. She thought I was in pain. I'm crying. There's teeth <laughs> coming down, sweat. The neck of my shirt is wet. I am in absolute heaven. <laughs> it was so good. So I've made that mistake in Asia too, saying I want it, you know, not American hot. I want real hot. <laughs> That's crazy. Real hot. I have a real secret hot. ingredient for you. What's that? Do tell. The secret ingredient is ahi amarillo. Ahi I actually have a World Foods um, link on my Instagram, my link tree, and okay. you can find it. It's an Amazon link. And um, ahi amarillo is from Peru, and it is my secret ingredient. I put it in so many things, not just um, Peruvian food, but I put it, I use it a lot in my Asian cooking too. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's not that spicy, like you're, you like the mm -hmm. extreme spice, but it's a, it's spicy and flavorful. And Seriously, this is my secret ingredient. If you add it to some of your Asian cooking, um, you're going to love it. 
you can add it to salad dressings. Um, you can add it to so many dishes. In Peru, they make uh, uh, lomo saltado with it. Okay. And they, they make um, uh, uh, papa huancaina. The, their ceviche has it. And it's so many dishes. Nice. Now, you know, um, with all your travels and where you've gone and, and the, you, 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 know, you pick up these little secrets, these little extra seasonings, these, these additions, if you will. Let's do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Where's your go-to breakfast spot on planet Earth? Where's your go-to lunch spot on planet Earth? And where's your dinner spot? And, and why are you picking those places? Um, okay, so um, I would say for breakfast, uh, Los Angeles avocado toast um it's just my favorite breakfast um my second favorite breakfast is there is there a place in LA that best avocado toast yes it's on Montana Avenue in Santa Monica okay and oh, the name escapes me it's got the blue umbrellas um uh, and there's another one in, on, the, on Montana Avenue where the restaurant is is in a garden. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to send you that by email and you can yeah. put it in the show notes. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, yeah. And so I love avocado toast, but also in, um, in Asia, I love that they serve noodles for breakfast. Yeah. They, the idea, this transition idea that we have of completely different foods are eaten at different times isn't followed globally. I mean, fresh fruit and noodles or fried rice in Thailand in the morning for breakfast. They don't care. Yeah. It's just good food. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. I love getting noodles for breakfast. Um, my favorite lunch spot would be um, in Peru. There okay. is a... Um, a hacienda where they have the beautiful Paso horses. And this is at the Sol y Luna Hotel. And normally, I would never tell you a hotel is my favorite meal ever, but this is a very special experience and you don't have to stay at the hotel because it's over at their, their, um, their ranch where they have the horses. And it, um, it has, so they, they come out in these beautiful, um, uh, outfits of white and they ride these beautiful Peruvian horses and what they're serving as a meal is a barbecue and but it's a Peruvian barbecue so again Peruvian barbecues the food is uh, marinated in a, a sauce with that pepper that I told you aji amarillo mm -hmm. and so the marinade is just delicious for all these barbecued foods and then they have um, the sauce that goes with it. It's also made with that pepper, uh, some olive oil and lime and salt. And um, it's, just, it's just amazing. And then they have their little um, appetizers and hors d'oeuvres, which are like uh, um, uh, papa huancaina, which is potato with mm -hmm. a... Uh, creams are so elegant looking because the Europeans came over to Peru and so it's every the Peruvian food is a mix of uh, the Andes and European and the rainforests and Chinese and Japanese um, so all of these 
these cultures came together and it's it's like the perfect cuisine and it's the the cuisine that no one knows about peruvian food so they serve so this the cheese sauce that goes over the potatoes is a mix of that pepper with some uh, uh, feta or like a fresh cheese, um, maybe some crackers, olive oil, uh, salt and pepper. So, and I believe that they also uh, saute onions and garlic, and and they they put it in a food processor, and it's a really smooth kind of pink, uh, yellowy orange sauce that goes over the top okay and then they they serve it with a, a little boiled egg and two olives then their olives are beautiful they're 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 like kalamata olives um they're big and purple um so not like your american black olive but mm -hmm. it's a really beautiful uh olive like you'd get in greece so um it's a beautiful so they they have all these beautiful dishes at this wonderful lunch place and then um, for dinner, I would be on a farm in Tuscany with a, uh, a pasta um, and a bolognese, uh, some kind of meat ragu. They, they usually use a combination of the, the animals that they have there. Um, and they'll do a, uh, they'll braise this meat all day and make a beautiful ragu. And then they make fresh pasta, maybe some tagliatelle, um, some cheese that came from a local place um, on a beautiful, farm that maybe faces a, a cute village or some rolling hills um so with an well, Italian the show i gotta go eat now <laughs> <laughs> i am you're hearing noise in the background that's my stomach Yay, it's going nuts <laughs> i'm um, sorry you asked me about food i could go on all day oh i love it i mean i'm gonna tag my my buddy chef joe gatto in this uh he does every he, he has a show called from scratch and so he makes everything from scratch. And I'm talking psychopathically from scratch. Oh, made, I want to talk to him someday. He made his own knives so that he oh, could knives. do it. Yeah, from scratch. Wow. He went out and harvested the wheat and the barley and the hops to make his own beer so that he could do a beer bread or a beer pizza crust. He had to go make his own beer first. Oh my God, I would love to taste a beer pizza. I think oh. my mom used to put beer in our biscuits. Yeah, beer in the biscuits. A nice, um, especially, you know, uh, late 70s, early 80s, the way that um, Bud Miller Coors manufactured their hops. There was, um, there was a crispness, um, not a sweetness to them, a real cleanness to, uh, to it and to the water. And you, you could really taste the difference, quite honestly. And you can a little bit with Coors Original uh, at the brewery. But it, um, yeah, it creates that. You do a, a really rich, let's say, uh, Sierra Nevada. Add that in when you're making your crust, right? It'll foam up a little bit. You gotta let it sit a little bit longer, get a little sticky. But the richness it brings out in flavors. And then what I do, I cheat a little bit, right? So I put, I put my, got my pizza oven going real hot. The raw crust, I make a ghost pepper um, honey. And so I drizzle a little ghost pepper honey on that raw dough, and then I put it in the oven, in the pizza oven, for just one minute. Let's the dough rise a little bit and lets that honey seep in. Then when I add my tomato sauce and I add my mozzarella and I add you know pepperoni and black olives or pepperoni and sausage, I've got salt on salt on salt. I need a little sweet break. But then as you have mentioned, I love the heat. 
that element in the crust with the beer and everything else, dynamite. Beautiful. Dynamite. dynamite. Yeah, it's, um, I, I mean, I love talking to, to, to chefs and, uh, and, and picking their brains because, you know, they are, you know, like yourself, right? They, they travel for the sake of, of adventure, you know, whether it's the taste buds or the people or both, you know, um, I, I want to ask you, you know, in, in the light of if someone could be listening to this 20 years down the road, you know, we're, we're in the, in the world of COVID, you know, how, um, what, what are you expecting for travel as we, you know, as vaccines are being distributed or are you, do you think there's just going to be a pent up demand and explosion of travel or do you think people are going to be cautious or uh, a hybrid of both? Where do you see that? A hybrid of both. Okay. In, in 2020, about three, six, nine months in, um, people were texting me left, right, and center saying, as soon as it's over, I want to go somewhere. And I had a few clients go anyway during that time. Um, but so people are dying to go and there's going to be a lot of pinup demand, but also there's a lot of confusion. And, and that is, is um, really hampering everyone's being able to get up and make a plan. Sure. Uh, you know, so I think, I think what's going to happen, I actually was about to write a post this morning saying, can somebody nominate me to go work with Biden and Kamala Harris and set the, the rules? Because I've got it in my head what we need to do. You know, it, it, but the the government officials there, I don't know, they have so many things on their mind um, and they probably don't have the experience of seeing, you know, 60 other countries and exactly how they are handling and what's working and what's not. And I, I have that experience. I can I can see what what is working. For example, a country like Kenya, who requires a COVID test to get on the plane. Mm -hmm. um, I would feel safe flying on that plane because everyone else on the plane has been tested. And then when they get off, they go to these camps, these tented camps, and they're, you know, their, their tent is 200 yards from the next tent and there's only 20 tents in the whole property and the property is 60,000 hectares, you know? So you can imagine this is the, the you know, quarantining at its best you know yeah. while, while being out in nature and having all these beautiful experiences and then in a country like kenya um the government has more freedom to control in the united states we are the freest country in the world so it's harder for the government to figure it out you know sure. how to to keep us in line so that that we, they can keep us safe you know americans just don't we just don't think like that we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it you know so mm -hmm. I, I can imagine it would so be we're really republic, right? we're republic. so we've got 50 different states making 50 different rules that suddenly answer to a larger set of rules but generally speaking i mean the difference between california and texas is you know, is, is Grand Canyon-esque as far as how they handle situations. Exactly, exactly. Right? Marijuana. What I would do if I was Biden and Kamala, I would say in order to get to the United States, you have to have a, a negative COVID test. And then I would require everybody to get another COVID test as soon as they land and quarantine for three days while they wait for the results. It's that simple. 
Well, we've got rapid tests now, right? Which um, a the lot rapid of tests I worry about because they do some false. Um, they do false positives, but not false, false positives. And for me, if I got a false positive, that would create a a wave of havoc both emotionally and and and, and in my day to day life. So I I think the three day the, and and the three days that you would have to wait for your test results to come back. Mm -hmm. um, you you would be quarantining so you're not exposing should anyone on the plane have had it which which because they had to have to have a test to get on the plane makes the uh, uh the um the possibility of that a lot less so to me that a three-day quarantine anyone can do a three-day quarantine True. But if you're talking about seven and 14, 14 day quarantines, they're killing us. They're killing the travel industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, you know, I, I travel for work and, um, you know, because of this podcast and because of my media work that I do, I'm considered essential. So it's very interesting that because I have a three year track record of interviewing people, because I help put on virtual events and do things and I'll go into an office and set everything up, right? Yeah. I'm essential and but I'm only essential in California and New York uh, I'm not necessarily essential in Montana or Wyoming right and to your point of confusion I mean I roll into a hotel and I'm getting text messages you cannot travel here for vacation this is business only in being business only you have to quarantine in your hotel for five days I'm like well I'm checking in on Monday night and I'm checking out Friday morning. So I cannot quarantine for five days if I wanted to because of just flights. But they don't, the funny thing is they don't ask or care about me getting a COVID test. It's the weirdest thing. They're yeah. just like, well, just sit here for a couple of days. They're just making random rules because it's yeah. easy. And, and my plan is easy too. You know, you can get, a, you can, if you're on vacation, um, you can make an appointment at CVS for the day you come back on the way back from the or, or Walgreens and the, it takes about three or four days to get the appointment so if you're on a trip you know what day you're coming back you know what day you would need mm -hmm. the test you get the yeah. test and then you um you quarantine until you get the results yep. you know and and then um you know, so that would be my, my travel, what I would do for, you know, if I was Kamala Harrison, so I was on the team. <laughs> Can somebody give me a job to be on the team? No, hey, listen, I, I agree with you. And I, you know, I think that, I think the problem, you know, here's your biggest issue you're going to have. It's a simple, direct plan. Now, if you want to add in 5,000 more pages of legislation and some appendices and some fancy legalese terms and make your plan way more complicated, I think you've got a chance. But these simple, direct, very easy one, two, three footsteps, that's too easy for the government, man. We've got to make this complex. <laughs> oh, that's a nightmare. <laughs> but to answer your question, I would be planning uh, travel for late 2021 okay. or 2022. And I am going to probably travel somewhere in March myself um, because you can travel right now. And mm -hmm. Uh, some of my colleagues have been traveling. They, I have a colleague that just came back from Guyana. That same colleague spent a month in Kenya and Tanzania. I have Ooh. a colleague who went to Ecuador. I have clients who went to Ecuador. Um, so you can travel now and you, can, and you probably would be safer than going to the grocery store in LA right now. Oh. Um, 
yeah, because you have to get the COVID test to get on the plane. And once you get there, they're, they're, they're very strict. So it, it's also what you do while you're there. And in America, we don't have any rules for what people are doing. And if we do have rules, they're not being, who, not, they're not, nobody is checking, you know? In these countries, they check. Is, there, now, is that something else that, you know, you're gonna have to add in as, you know, travel opens up? Because you are gonna get some great clients that are gonna be proactive and thinking and going, hey, Monica, we're gonna go, like my wife and I, we, we're gonna go to Thailand. We wanna take our kid there. You know, we wanna get back up and we wanna, we wanna hang out with the people. We just, we love it. Right? We wanna go to Northern Thailand, Chiang Mai, we wanna see the elephants. We wanna go back down to the islands and just, you know, relax around the surf and just, you know, have, have that experience. However, Thailand is very strict with their rules. And that was pre-COVID. They were just strict with rules, right? They just have some. You don't make fun of the monarchy in any way, shape or form. You just go right to jail, right? I mean, there's just, there's certain things that they just do and that's okay. But I'm wondering, do you already have an appendices in your head where you're like, okay, if I've got a group that wants to go to Japan or they want to try to get into New Zealand, this is the steps you got to go through. I want to prepare you. I don't want any sour grapes at the end of the day. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So um, New Zealand and Australia, I think, are off for this year. Wow, really? Just off, yeah. off the board? Yeah, off the board. They, they're, they're the most strict, and they've done the, actually the best job of protecting their citizens, so I can't, I can't argue with that. Sure. Um, so I ha I've been staying away from Asia a little bit, um, but it, it is doable in some of the countries. Um, I know that Sri Lanka... It would be a good one to go to. Okay. Um, uh, the Maldives you can go to, um, and and all the other countries. It just gets more complicated. Like Myanmar, you can't go to. Um, uh, I, um, so and Vietnam is really strict. And so I've been focusing on uh, a couple of countries in South America. Um, uh, you know where you could go? You could go to French Polynesia. Ooh. That kind of sounds fun. That I mean, the way you say you know, it. They have fun. more than just Bora Bora there. They have culture. They have nature. They so French Polynesia would be so fun, and um, so you could do French Polynesia. Um, and I'm really steering people towards the really um, the most remote and most nature focused right now. Sure. Okay. Um, so I really don't want you walking around a market in Asia right now. <laughs> you know, that's the funnest thing about being in Asia is being in a busy market, you know, or one of the funnest things, you know. So um, I don't know what the rules for Laos is, but when you said Thailand, my brain went to Laos. Have you been to Laos? I haven't. I would love to go. Um, you know, I, I, I wasn't a big fan of Bangkok. I really wasn't. You know, it's yeah. just. Uh, I loved Koh Samui. I love Chiang Mai. I, I can't say it enough how much I, I love those places. You know, I love Knock Air, their little Southwest Airlines, if you will, that they've kind of got there. Uh, I, I loved it. I, and I would like to go to Laos. I'd like to go to Vietnam. Uh, here both are absolutely yeah. amazing. You know, the one place I want to go, but I'm just constantly told, right? It's like, hey, you're going to love this, but you're also, you might hate it. And you got to be careful who you travel with. And that's India. Because, you know, from what I'm told from my friends that travel internationally for work is that those flights that they book coming back, 
they leave 25% open for 25% of the people that get off the plane and are overwhelmed by the sights, the sounds, the busyness, the, uh, the, the chaos that is India, that there's like, send me home right now. <laughs> I never heard that. That's so funny. Um, yeah, my uh, India, you either is one of those places you either love it or you hate it. Um, for my husband, he didn't like all the cows all around, you know, he likes things to be cleaner. Um, and I, we also had a, um, a whitewashed experience, I think, because we were in the Uber luxury hotels in India, which I believe are the greatest. If you are, if you love luxury, I mean, India does the best luxury hotels. We stayed in the James Bond suite uh, from the movie Octopussy in um, uh, in Udaipur, um, the on the lake there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's, it's the Taj on the lake. So it was really, you had to take a boat to get there and then you get there and these beautiful uh, people are waiting for you all dressed in elegant uniforms and they have a little drink for you as you get off the boat. This is all very James Bond. So it was really nice to get the James Bond um, suite there. And so uh, if you love luxury, you know, India is awesome. India also has, um, for me, um, there's some places that I didn't go yet, but I want to go. I want to go to the Indian Himalayas and there's some great hiking up there. Um, so I haven't been to that side of India um, and that's on my bucket list. Um, mm -hmm. And I have some great um, experiences up there that I want, I, I need to try myself. Um, but in Rajasthan, um, you know, you can stay at these beautiful hotels, but you know, uh, some people love going to markets and seeing all these wonderful local people walking around and the dirts are like a dirt road and, and beautiful spice smells of spices, but also maybe smells of pee pee and, and cow and, you know, there's a cow walking down the street and, you know, um, you know, and, and so it's, it's very uh, gritty and earthy Um there's wonderful spiritual experiences there. Varanasi is amazing. Um, do you, if you guys don't know about Varanasi, that's where they take their um, dead and float them in the river. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I've heard of that, yes. Yeah, and you can get on a boat in the morning and go out and see this happening. And Ooh. so again, like this is, some people will think this is the most beautiful spiritual experience. And some people will like, get me out of here, <laughs> you know? So, um, and I, I would say, let's hold off on India till 2022. Let's make sure we're all vaccinated. Let's not take any risks. Um, there's so many people in India. It's a, it's a, a really busy, crowded country. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there's places you can get off the grid and I can find those places for you. But personally, um, and I'm not even sure you're allowed to go into India. It's just off my, my list right now. But 2022, um, definitely let's plan something fun um, that India could be fun. But don't forget about Laos. I want you to go to Laos. Okay. Everything I know about you so far, I, I think you need to go to Laos. You need to go to Laos? I, I want to. I really do. I think Laos is a be beautiful country. Uh, I mean, really just majestic in, in its countryside and, and everything that it, that it has to offer. Yeah, 100% in. 100% in. Where do you... Um, where you know 
here in the U.S., if, if you're a little afraid to go abroad, where are some of your where are some of your favorite U.S. destinations? So the greatest gift of 2020 was being able to have time to explore the USA West because I've spent the last 30 years going everywhere else in the universe, except for, I never went to the Grand Canyon. Can you believe it until a few months ago? What? No, it's true. I, I had never been to the Grand Canyon. So I have done, uh, in the last few months, I did Colorado, uh, Utah, Montana, um, Ooh, Wyoming. Okay. Pause real quick, Montana. That's where I was born and raised. Talk to me about Montana. Where'd you go? What'd you like? I loved Montana. Um, so I, I started in Wyoming in uh, Jackson okay. and I went to the Tetons and I just, I saw moose on my birthday, um, eagles, I mean, rafting down the river. It was awesome. And then I went up and stayed in, uh, in a little town in Montana off of the Lamar Valley. Okay. Cook city. Do you know what? Have you ever been? Yep. It's a dead town. It's like two restaurants. It's like towns in Montana. Bars, like 10 bars, two restaurants. 10 bars, um, two restaurants, five churches. <laughs> and a guy on a moped just delivering that one pizza over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. So, but staying up there to be able to have access to five in the morning jaunts to the Lamar Valley to see the wildlife. We saw grizzly bears and uh, wolves. And um, that white, I got to get the name of this. It's like a kind of like a sheep with the big horns. Um, big horn, big horn sheep, yeah. Those yeah, are big rare sheep, there, yeah. Big horn sheep, um, lots of um, buffalo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so, so Yellowstone. And then um, we drove to Bozeman, which I, I just love. And then I watched, after I came home, I watched Yellowstone. So now, and then I'm just now, now I'm just in love with oh, yeah. Montana. Um, and we drove some good. of those, those roads like the chief something road do you know that the chief mm. Mm. all these awesome little roads that circle around there's mountains and and deserts and it, it, i mean not literally deserts but they look like deserts really rocky and um and beautiful so you know drove all these old back roads uh, is cody in wyoming or my or in montana cody's in wyoming, wyoming. that's okay. wyoming yep Went to the rodeo with Cody. Um, we went to the Triple Creek Ranch. Okay. And uh, that was an experience of a lifetime. Um, it was just, uh, be, just felt like a billionaire for a day or two, you know? Uh, it was just beautiful. Everyone took such good care of us. The food was amazing. The views are beautiful. It's one of those places that I cried when I left. There's- Oh, wow. Yeah, there, and I do that sometimes. I cry and throw a fit when I leave a place I love. My poor husband. <laughs> We're not coming back. Pardon me? It's like it's a billionaire's resort. We're not coming back. I mean. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the Triple Creek Ranch was beautiful. They have so many things to do. We, I, I'm, um, I, I, I am from Indiana and Alabama. Mm -hmm. I grew up with uh, shot hunting guns being in the house. I remember I had a boyfriend that was making fun of a childhood photo of me with the Christmas tree and the the um, shotgun right by it 
uh, and I didn't even notice it in the picture until he mentioned it. Um, so I grew up with hunting, but as a mom, we didn't allow guns in the house. So, um, and so my son just was, uh, he just didn't like that at all. He just mm -hmm. couldn't believe we were like that. He's, he's super conservative and I'm more moderate liberal. So um, of course, you know, he, um, so he, he became a Marine after. Um, but anyway, when we were at Triple Creek Ranch, we got to shoot all the different kinds of guns. And the only other time we've done that in travel was in Vietnam when mm -hmm. we went to the uh, underground caves and we came out and we shot the, um, and actually my son was with me and I wonder if this is where he got the idea. He must have been 10 at the time. Um, and we shot the, the rifles like they, did, they had um, back in the war. Um, so, and the, the Coochie Min Tunnels in, okay. in Saigon uh, is where we were. Um, so that was the only other gun experience I had. So it was actually fun shooting those guns at the range with someone who's making sure I don't make any mistakes and I do it correctly, you know. Um, and I actually, I think a little bit of that Indiana, Alabama girl came out because I think I did pretty well. <laughs> hey, that's, you know what? Listen, sometimes a little bit of muscle memory, right? I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, you bring up Montana, it's funny. It's like, when you're talking about, you know, breakfast, when I asked the question of breakfast, lunch, and dinner to eat, like my breakfast place, it's in Montana, right? I mean, oh. The Mint Cafe in Townsend, Montana has the best pancakes and they're enormous. And I remember my grandfather, when God rest his soul, when he was alive, he'd take me to the Mint. He had ordered the big stack of pancakes and he'd like to see if I could even eat one, let alone the three that just hanging over the plate. I mean, just doused in butter and syrup it was you know there's the oh, thick good pancakes you know where in montana is the mint townsend it's a small town outside of the capital of helena uh probably about a thousand people live there maybe you know similar you know uh, five bars a couple of churches uh one <laughs> grocery store and uh a couple of restaurants and that's it that, that, that service the area and the ranchers there and then they've got they just launched they've got a brewery there now too big you know fun thing for them to do but I have to go back to Montana because I oh, didn't yeah. get the north. And then you got to go the northwest corner, which is where I, my formative years were. Glacier National Park being my backyard growing up. And I, you know, yeah. just cruise up there and, you know, do whitewater rafting and, and hike around. And, you know, just it did, you know, just went to Glacier Park if you wanted to go hike and just have fun. And then outside of Glacier is Kalispell, Montana, the kind of the biggest city in the northwest up there. A little smaller than Missoula, but you know, it's a little farther north by a couple hours. They have a place called Moose's. Now, Moose's used to be an ice house. Back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Moose's was an ice house. So no windows, two doors, front and back door, that's it. Well, Moose's turned itself into this pizzeria and the sauce and the original owner were allegedly mafia-esque, mafia ties, one of the people that used to be one of the owners in Moose's, um, a gentleman at a bank was investigating him and that gentleman killed himself by stabbing himself in the back five times. That's how you kill yourself. <laughs> so Moose's has this like, but the sauce and the crust, it's just, it's different. It's dynamite out of sight, different. That's you walk in and it's just dark. Sawdust on the floors, 
They serve peanuts, pizza, and beer. Sounds like God. You're going here for dinner? Oh, I wish. Oof, I love mooses, man. Mooses is the jam. I'm actually making my own pizza tonight. But if I was in Montana right now, I'd, I'd be trying to get up to mooses. You know, that nice. was, you know, just, it's just, it's, and it's just so unique um, in what it brings and how long it's been around, you know. Um, but yeah, there's, Montana's got that unique piece where if you can find some good spots, you know, you're going to really get some really, really good food. You're also going to get some really, really bad food because it's sometimes you're in a town and they'll call it Italian. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I was, I thought the food in Bozeman was really good. Oh, Bozeman's got some great, great food, a, a really powerful culinary um, explosion going on there. Also in uh, Missoula and also in Whitefish, um, a, a town about 65 miles from the Canadian border. That's a ski town. They have some amazing chefs that just come in for the summer crowds, just come in for the, so they're only there May through September cooking. I think we had a healthy meal too. I think we went to a restaurant where they had some, I mean, it, you don't expect, you know, in the, yeah. in the Midwest, it's hard to find healthy restaurants, but I, I, I remember just having really great, healthy, wonderful food. There was a great Mexican restaurant also in Bozeman that we went to and a great margaritas. Margaritas are my favorite. I make them myself. They call them, all my friends call them monicaritas. Nice. Have any of your friends gotten you a t-shirt for that, for their coming over? It's like, hey, monicaritas, let's go. No! Some custom glasses. <laughs> Come on now, get, to get your friends. It's group Yeah. Easy, easy. Well, that's really good. I, I should, I'm, I'm going to take that advice and I'm going to do that. That's fun. I'll do that for one of our Zoom cocktail parties. Nice. See, there you go. Now, question for you. A hard left turn this podcast is full of. From every movie I've seemed to have watched as a kid growing up and then even watching this movie, culturally, it seems like the Japanese men are hard and stoic. They don't show a lot of emotion. They don't give a lot of emotion unless it's, uh, especially in this movie when she's learning to make ramen, he's slapping her on the head and he's, oh, you cry baby, you know, and just make, you know, it's just, it's, yeah. how, how accurate is that depiction of Japanese people from your vantage point in your travels? Wow, I don't want to get in trouble here. No, you um, I mean, it's just, it's, listen, listen there's, there's, there, I mean, either A, films are kind of getting it right and they're over-exaggerating it because it is film and it is nuance and it is entertainment. Or B, culturally, there is just a, a part of their society and who they are that the men just take a different role that is different, that is different role than a man would have in, in the UK or they would have in Spain or they would have in, um, in America. Well, first of all, I find that that there's a lot of men in all cultures that uh, many cultures that have that a little bit of that um, behavior. Um, <laughs> but in Japan, um, I about the food scene, mm -hmm. they are very it's like an artist protects their art. They protect their food. Um, for example, I, I had a group of guys and we did a, uh, a trip where we did all these beautiful adventure things. They love to be, uh, they love for me to push the edge um, as far as their adrenaline and um, new experiences. 
and they had watched the movie Jiro, which is uh, a sushi. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to go to Jiro. And I, at the time, um, they were the first clients to ask me about going to Jiro. And I thought the Black Express card could get me anywhere in the world. So I said, yes. And then we sold 27 spots on this trip. And, um, and then I, every day for the next nine months was trying to get them into Jiro. And Jiro doesn't work with tour operators. They don't um, want tourists to come there. Um, if you want to go to Jiro, you pretty much have to know someone and maybe a really good concierge who knows them might be able to get you in. Um, and since then, I have been able to pull off a couple of really great Jiro experiences for small groups, but sure. this was really hard for me um, to understand as an American that there's something I can't do. I mean, I have a group of guys, they're all masters of the universe. They are all willing to pay the $400 cash they need to bring there. Um, you know, you know, yeah. So I just couldn't conceive that there was something that I couldn't pull off. And I actually did get them into Jiro Sun restaurant and they had to, but there were lots of rules. We had to split them up at eight at a time and they, they actually, they were late and they got in trouble for being late. I mean, because, you know, they don't care who these guys are. Yeah. Right, Jiro, Jiro, they don't care. Like you're supposed to be here on time. You you don't get to to make alterations in my food. You know, you you get what you get, and you, you pay four hundred dollars for it, and you don't get upset. You know, and those are the rules. You know, so this is a man treating men like this. You know, and I'm not. I they didn't actually tell me, but I kind of heard like little experts excerpts, and I I don't think it was the best experience of the trip you know, for them, because it is very, um, this is a, this is something they don't care about tourists coming. This is their art and they are true artists. And one thing I was thinking of, um, last night, as I was thinking about what we were going to talk about for this show, I realized that I got a lot of appreciation for food, for all kinds of different Asian food in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. because when I lived in Hawaii, you have Japanese, Chinese, Korean, um, Thai, you know, uh, Hawaiian. So you get, you have all of these. And I did have a lot of experience also with um, men. Um, uh, I remember that, I can't remember with the Chinese or the Japanese that are obsessed with not having the number four and they like the number eight. Ja, that's Chinese. Chinese, right? It is an extremely lucky number. Yes. Yeah. So that was like a big thing they were always um, working with me about. And then, um, but the Japanese are more, um, they're, they're, uh, they're more um, reserved okay. as far as their, the way they dress, the, the way they speak. Um, so one of my guides said, because I was asking, how do I tell the difference of who's Japanese? Because a lot of Chinese were traveling when I was in Japan. How do I tell the difference? And they said, well, Japanese will be wearing very muted colors. They're wearing beige, light green, um, 
you know, where the Chinese are wearing really colorful clothes, you know, the red sweater, the pink sweater. Mm -hmm. um, and so then I started to like, I could see it, you know? Um, so the Japanese are very reserved. And um, I, I thought that guy was hysterical. He reminded me of the sensei in a karate um, kid. Yeah. Except for that, that sensei would, would not probably say, uh, bad words and stuff, you know, <laughs> he was more spiritual, but the, the thought of, you know, making her clean the toilet as her first duty. And what is that about? That's about making her humble. Yeah. Because I just made the ramen for my class and it, I took four days to make my, my, um, broth. Wow. And there were so many steps and so many things. Don't they broth i mean you know as far as like they'll take a side of whatever broth they've made right and that's the base for their next broth and some ramen houses have broths that are uh, i mean i'm sure i'm hyperbole exaggerating a little bit like hundreds of years old probably yeah this base of just being like okay this is the broth is perfect it's done i've got my little side this is my starter now for my next broth that i'm going to do and it just kept going on and on and on there's a there's a uniqueness to that right i mean i feel like i some, saw that on a show where they just keep cooking the broth yeah, yeah they keep they just forever forever it's just it's that same forever thing, that same that would be thing. really good that would be really good that's why it took me so many days because first i made a chicken mm -hmm. i just roasted a chicken and i um and then i um I, I, so we ate the chicken. I took everything else that we didn't eat. And then I boiled it for 24 hours. And I, I put some other more vegetables and, and seasonings. And then I boiled it and then I froze it. And then I, um, cause I wanted to like get any fat off the top. Mm -hmm. And then I, uh, and then you have to make, so that you have your one broth. That's basically your meat and vegetable broth. And then you have another one. There's one called maki and one called tare. And so I made my maki and I actually put that secret ingredient, I'll tell only you guys, um, which was the ahi amarillo. And I think it made it, I think it, I think it made it, it made it swoon. It just made it fly, you know? Nice. Um, so I put that in the mare. And then the take, uh, I ordered off of Amazon and I need to go and fix my Amazon. I have a page called World Food and I need to go fix the product. I'm gonna go through all of them and see if I can find one that does not have MSG because the one I ordered have had MSG, so I didn't use it. So basically the ramen broth is three different kinds of broth. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the chicken and vegetables, the tari and the mari. Okay, nice. Maki, maki. I mean, I, you know, I'm just, I'm always fascinated by the, the, the discipline, especially, you know, and, and it's, it's very interesting, you know, especially as we travel, you get to see those different uh, disciplines and insights and, uh, and, and what that means to the culture, right? I mean, the idea of my, I, I, my brother used to cut hair for uh, this very famous chef in Las Vegas. And we went to his restaurant and we sat in the kitchen and he cooked for us right there at the kitchen. It was absolutely amazing. And I was like, hey, I just want to say, these are the best French fries I've ever had. And he goes, oh, well, it takes me four or five days to make them. 
Oh, wow. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, so I could take the potatoes and I just put them in cold water for a day, pull them out and I cut them, lay them out, let them dry. Then I flash fry them. Boom, flash fried the next day, done. Just for a couple of minutes, just get a crispiness on the outside, put it out, let them sit. And the next day I baste them with duck fat, <laughs> let it sit. And then when people are ready to eat them on the following day is when I cook them. And they go in the fryer at whatever temperature for however long, and then they're ready. And then a little spritz of duck fat again. That's amazing. It's amazing, but it's like, that's your dedication to just French fries, right? I mean, the finger food that I'm just blowing into ketchup and nom, 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 this is amazing, right? Now you think about the, you know, the, the, burger and the, the pasta and everything else that chef makes and go, wow, what your dedication for this is just immense, you know? And it kind of brings full circle to how I think we're introduced to ramen, which is that 19 cent, 20 cent package versus four days to create the broth, let alone you got to make the noodles, let alone then you got to have your strategy after the broth. Do you want it spicy? Do you want it this? Do you want it that? How, you know, and then, you know, all of those accoutrements, all those additions that come to it, right? How are you doing the egg? Is it, is it soft boiled on the inside? Is it hard boiled? You know, are you, are you cracking the egg raw and letting the, the hot liquid cook it for you? You know, all of those differences, all those nuances that then come into play to create something that we've turned into a 25 cent treat <laughs> that's loaded with MSG and sodium on the bottom rack of our supermarkets. It's, at some point, and I'll piss some people off, at some point, it's got to be grossly frustrating, grossly frustrating to the Japanese community to come to America and see that we call that ramen. Just like I think it's grossly frustrating for Italians to come and see what we make as pizza in the frozen food section as pizza. Yeah, yeah, it is true. I went to a restaurant in New York once and I was very uneducated about ramen at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, our hosts who took us there, I, I should call them and apologize. Um, I, I'm, I'm, they took me to a ramen restaurant and I believe that like they spent like $600 Ooh. on this dinner. Um, and I, I ate it and I didn't have the appreciation for it at the time I, um, I actually left and thought, I'm still hungry, you know? Um, so <laughs> uh, I love to eat. That's my biggest uh, uh, vice, I think. Um, so yeah, uh, but I didn't have the appreciation and I would love to go back now and see how uh, I, I, if I would like it better because after being in Japan and making ramen myself and experiencing ramen in so many different places in Japan, um, I, I think that it's, it is an art and it is, should be appreciated and it should be done as a fine cuisine and, mm. um, and not a 25 cent grocery store item. True, very true. I couldn't agree more. Uh, qu qu random question for you here, you know, and um, I'll do this intro with it. We've been working out in my head here, you know, said video was gonna kill the radio star, right? MTV, guess what? You're here, the radio's dead. Cable's here, guess what? Local television is dead. The internet is here, guess what? All these businesses are now dead. 
or, or was or that was the Nostradamus effect, you know. However, what it seems like from my vantage point, correct me if I'm wrong, and then there's an addition to this, but bespoke custom um, luxury items can't be um, automated through a travel search, through Travelocity. They just can't, right? You've got to have expertise and understanding and knowledge and ability to share and what that sharing looks like. And then from what that sharing looks like, right? To then get person not only from A to B, but get them from A to B in the, in the means and the customs in which they're used to traveling. So I wonder, A, how much have, and I mean this honestly, like how much have um, click and buy travel actually made people respect and want to use your services more? And then B, when someone is planning a trip, when they want to go to Africa or Peru or France or the French Maldives or wherever they want to go, tell us, tell the listeners about how it's best to work with, work with you, how they would work with you, what they do, what your process is like. Thank you for the great question. I, I want to talk about the click and buy for, for a moment because yes, I've been doing this for 23 years. And when we started, um, pay-per-click on Google was brand new. Most people didn't even know you could do it. And we were one of the first people we started with just selling Peru. And we were one of the first companies to sell tours in a new way. So tours used to be... Uh, big buses and you know everybody stays in the same hotels you know oh, you, you get my grandparents you tours yeah that's not we were doing tours in a new way we were like you said bespoke travel so that was great for a while and then everyone wanted a piece of the pie so you know now TripAdvisor sells tours and there's tours here and tours there and everyone's selling the hotels and um and I was just talking to my daughter about this um, because she's, she's doing some work in the spiritual area and there's so many other people doing it. And what I told her is, look, I learned this lesson back in 2008, 9, 10, something like that, where if you focus on what the competition is, you'll just spiral out, you know, you just focus on your clients because at, at some point that pay-per-click got so expensive that to, just to get a new client was just way too expensive, you know? Sure. And, then, and then to get through the hoops, to jump through the hoops, to make them trust you, um, it took a while. It took, it's, it's actually very costly to get, for us to get a new client. So what I told my team is we are going to focus on every single client we have now and making it the most special trip they've ever had, putting unique experiences that they can't find anywhere. If we have to create them ourselves, we will. Um, you know, uh, making sure that every single person that goes to Peru to see Machu Picchu comes home saying, I love the food and I love the people and I loved that bike ride that I took in the countryside, you know, or that picnic that they threw for me as a surprise. You know, that is what we are going to focus on. And that worked. Now, 90% of our clients are repeat or referral. Um, we're doing, you know, uh, paying very little for our paid marketing 
um, you'll see us, we do some remarketing ads, you know, but most of our business right now is repeat and referral because we put the client first. We mm -hmm. treated them with uh, respect and if anything, and the thing of it is, if anything goes wrong, they have a support team, you know, and it, I have gotten people through earthquakes and typhoons and um, wow. civil unrest, um, <laughs> you know, COVID, yeah. you know, <laughs> so, you know, they have a support team and then my clients, they just call me now and say, okay. Now I want to go to Colombia, you know, last year I went to India and the year before that it was Peru, you know, and then I know each and every client so well that they don't even have to talk to me much now, you know, because I just, I just put everything into their itinerary that I know they will love. Like, for example, I have one client that doesn't like to leave his room before nine in the morning. So I have to go through every flight and make sure it's not until after 11 or 12. You know, every transfer doesn't start till after nine. He likes to sit and have that beautiful breakfast. All the hotels come with beautiful breakfast and enjoy himself and read his newspaper and, you know, hang with his wife, you know. So I that's him. You know, I have another group that they don't like any long drives, you know, so it's getting to know each and every client that comes to you and so well and so deeply that you can make each trip just perfect for them. So that's question number one. And then how to work with me. Um, so uh, our website is yampu.com and on the website you have choices. You can email, you can call, you can chat. Um, and you can request me, I'm Monica, so you can request me personally. And, um, you know, you would just tell me what is in your imagination for this trip that's coming up. And, and then you tell me, uh, you know, how active you are, um, what, what fun things you like to do. Tell me your hobbies. Tell me if you love food, you know, if you, if you love cooking, if you love biking, if you love hiking, if you love walking tours, if you need a van you know, uh, because you, maybe you have limited mobility, um, anything, you know, oh, I've kept traveling with teens and, you know, they, they, they're really active and they want, or I need a gym every day because if I don't run, I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, I need to know all these details. And then um, once I get all the details, your dates and everything about you and your family, um, then I, I go to work thinking of you, like I'm, I'm making a painting for you, you know, it's my art form. It's, it's something that um, making the trip perfect for you is something that I'm passionate about. So how and do you then, deal with, cause this instantly brings up to my mind, right? Like I think about my wife and I, and I think about watching House Hunters International and uh, they come down, they sit down with the real estate agent. And he's like, I want modern and I want a, a beer kegerator and I want a six headed shower and a huge kitchen. And she's like, I hate to cook. I don't like beer. I want old and rustic. And I want a fireplace in every room. And the realtor's like, oh, I'm gonna pull my hair out. So you're like, my wife and I come to you. My wife's like, I love the beach. I love laying out. I mean, she naturally tans. I'm Irish. When the sun comes up, I get a sunburn. You know, I love to check out bar, uh, you know, breweries and wineries and and um, and eclectic and different foods, right? And she's a little more baseline, but she wants to hike in the woods or, you know, she's always gotta be going. There's always gotta be something turning. Whereas you could set me at a brewery for five hours. 
I'd be like, another one? Let's try that one now, right? And I'd be content. So then how do you, in this very hands-on bespoke way of, of, of luxury and travel, how do you manage multiple personalities for lack of a better term? Yeah, so um, first of all, places start twirling in my mind as you're talking, you know? And so the first thing that came to mind would be Cape Town. So um, I would uh, I would want to know when you're going and when is you know make sure that that was right you know, and then um, and then while you're there, there are certain things that you guys could do together. But I might split you up at times if you are amenable to it, you know, um, you know. Um, so uh, that that would be things that I do all the time. Um, we we take a bunch of different people that are going together, and then sometimes I have to split them out and, and have them go different directions on a day. And then sometimes they're doing things together. Um, so that's totally part of what a travel uh, expert does. Okay. You know. Nice. Now it's it's. I mean it's it's always fascinating. You know, we had uh, we had a great time, obviously, when we were in uh, Thailand together. But like I can remember, I took her up to Portland, Oregon. And I wanted to run around like, I want to show off the breweries, you know, just eat food at every place. Just, oh, and this place has great burgers. This is a great pizza. So you grab a small slice, you grab a slider, you know, you're just bouncing around. And, you know, she just kind of wanted to walk the city and check it out because she had never been there. Right. So it was, it was that balancing act of, you know, I'm getting on the subway and I'm like, oh, and by the way, we can go to this place. Oh, let's grab $5 and throw in the Kena machine. Because I grew up doing that, right? My dad just give me five bucks, throw on the Kena machine, go have fun, you know, pick some numbers. Hey, you won. Oh, you lost. It's five bucks. Who cares? You also had a beer and you chatted the whole time or, you know, sat in a bar and opened up a bottle of wine and just sat there and talked, right? And she was yeah. like, yeah, are we going to do something besides just drink all day? And I was like, yeah, we are. We're checking out the city. And she's like, it seems like we're bar hopping, <laughs> you know, <laughs> accurate, <laughs> very accurate. <laughs> Have you guys been to Cape Town? Because I think Cape Town is made for you guys. We have not, you know, um, she is, she's gone to Africa. She went there and, um, and did some, she was actually helping some people out. Uh, she went out there and like dug wells and then she did. Which some, country? She went to uh, Kenya, I believe. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she's, um, she's gone. I have not, I would love to go to Cape Town. I have some friends who are from Cape Town, a gentleman I used to work with. His uh, family ranch is right outside of Cape Town. Um, I, I mean, there's places I desperately do want to go, you know, that, that I think would be a lot of fun. Um, I think it would be fun because, you know, she could have her beach and you could have your breweries and wineries. Um, you, there's a lot of active things. You, you can hike Table Mountain. You can bike the peninsula. Mm -hmm. um, you, uh, kayak with penguins, which would give her the sun, but make you feel like you're being active, you know. Uh, you know, you can um, go swim with the shark or there's like a shark cave diving. You can do that. That could we'll be see. fun. Yeah, no, just, this is the, you know, and I am a, I'm a wuss. Let's just be honest. The kid from Montana that grew up hunting so we could eat <laughs> and I'm terrified of sharks and snakes. One of the things that I'm terrified of, right? I'm terrified <laughs> of snakes too. Oh, the snakes. I like, we were in, when we were in Thailand, we're in Koh Samui, we're on, we're on the island, we're in, we got a moped. You rent a moped for five mm -hmm. bucks a day, whatever. We got the moped. Go to the grocery store. I've, travel tip, folks, in case you're wondering. And you you alluded to this with with ice cream, but like a lot of these countries, um, 
they don't have access to wine. They can't make wine for grapes. So they have to import it. It's very expensive. Like in Thailand for me, the cheapest thing was Red Bull, then it was beer, then it was soda, then it was water. And then there's like this cataclysmic jump <laughs> to the ultra wealthy. And then it was wine. Like, I mean, a bottle of wine was $45. And I was just like, it's yeah. wine. But I can get, I can get a six pack of beer for two. Like what is going on here? You know, babe, you got to start learning how to drink some beer. But um, we're at the store, we go in, we get some stuff. We're going to go back to our hotel and I hear people screaming and freaking out and they're just running. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Oh, one of their little um, guinea pigs has gotten, you know, out and there's a cobra chasing it across the parking. <gasps> and all I'm thinking is I rented a scooter. No doors. There's nothing to protect me. It's just, you know, if it comes this way, I'm just going to have a heart attack and die. It's just, just what's going to happen. My wife's going to resuscitate me or she's just going to feed me to the cobra and she will live a long, happy, healthy life. Do we have time to hear a story about beer and snakes? Absolutely. We got all the time in the world. <laughs> Especially for so a beer and snake story. When my Please. kids were like, uh, maybe they're, we're like, Oh, I have another one about snakes. Oh, I'll tell you that one first. It's shorter. We were in Kenya and was it Kenya? No, Tanzania, Serengeti. And um, my son was maybe 12. My daughter was eight. And when you get to the camps, every time you go to a camp, the manager sits down with you and tells you the rules. Mm -hmm. So at this camp in the Serengeti, but we way off, like not, nowhere near anywhere, you know? Um, and the manager says, okay, don't walk at night without one of the, the uh, guides. Don't um, uh, stay on the path, do stay on the path. And third thing, don't go on any rock, but this one. And you'll, there somewhere on my Instagram, there's a picture of the four of us on a rock having a sundowner. That was the only rock we were allowed to go on. So my kids take off from lunch back to their tent and it was two tents, if you can imagine like a, a triangle, there's two tents on one, each side. And then uh, in the middle of the tents in the grass was this big mound of um, like a termite mound, if you've ever seen one. Sure. Um, so it's like a big dirt pile. And um, so a, something goes across the path as they're walking back to their tent. And I hear them scream, snake! and um my son who's now the marine instead of stopping and waiting for me to catch up or coming back like i was screaming come back come back um goes forward to see what it is and luckily the thing is scareder of us than it was we are of them scurries off to that mound which is between our two tents and of course I didn't sleep another wink during that trip. No. And um, and it was a spitting cobra. Oh. And if you, and, and so later no. my guide who, um, it was his first time at this camp. I kind of, I made him take us to this camp and, um, and most people fly in and we drove in. Uh, he, he was really scared the whole time. And he told me all kinds of stories after, but the spitting Cobra, and, and that's why we include like Medivac with our safaris. Um, but now I tell every family, I have a little meeting with them before they go. And I say, 
no matter what the rule is, keep your kids right next to you. Like, don't let them even in the daytime, but, you know, even if they're teenagers, because teenagers still don't have that fear mechanism that the rest of us have, you know, they have an impulsive, you know, curious mechanism in their brains, <laughs> you know, so that, that is um, my snake story. And then the other story that I wanted to tell you about beer is uh, when the kids were five, we left them at home and we went to Ecuador and we flew to the Peruvian border, like two weeks walk from the nearest town into this small little airstrip, uh, an Amazon lodge that's run by the, the uh, people that live there now. Mm -hmm. um, and this was a great echo project, a way to give them to make money so they didn't have to sell to loggers or oil people. And, um, so this community, I had never seen a lot of outside people and there's a snake there called the Fair de Lance. And this snake, I'm so scared of it. It's all through Central America. It's Fair, um, Fair de Lance. Um, I think there was um, one of those nature shows. Oh, it's the show. There's a show where they- um, I'm pulling like up a, a picture right show. now. Let's see. Oh, it's a pit viper. Oh. Fair, oh, hell no. Oh. So in oh. this, so when I went to meet the community guy, he had 36 brothers and sisters, and half of them died by that snake. Because if you step on it, it just twirls up and bites you in the face. Oh, geez. It's really nasty. And then um, the beer that they make there, they make it out of spit. It's called chicha. And mm -hmm. it's to talk about a place where you can't get wine or beer, you know, yeah. they make their own and they, and they start, they, it's a firm spit and then it ferments, they make a beer out of it. Interesting. Um, I mean, if I it's was actually a really, I'm telling you the worst things about this Amazon lodge. It's no, the no, best, no, I mean, I'll take, no, I'll it's tell you the what, best outside experience. It's authentic. Yeah. Snakes, which I'm just not down. I just, yeah, you know, I went to Brazil, but um, I uh, stayed in Bahara and in uh, the the U.S. government. You know, we went to the um, the we went to the U.S. offices in um, in Rio every day. We'd commute up for work. But um, yeah, no, I'm just not a snake guy. the The spit beer thing and everything else. I mean, listen, you're gonna try it. You know, especially if people are making it and they're working at it. You're gonna try it. You know, there's been yeah, some good. Beers. I tried it and bad beers I've had, you know, same with good wine and bad wine, you know, it's, it is, it is part of the game, you know, I'm not, I, I'd be down with, I'd be down to try the, the food and, and everything else that they're doing, um, but the snake thing, man, that just, I mean, I get that Australia is off the map, but it's like, that's not a place I've been super excited to go, because of the poisonous spiders and snakes, and now uh, people are like, oh yeah, you know, check in your hotel room, check your covers first, I'm like, check my covers first, stop why I'm like well spiders and you know, my, my buddy showed me a picture of this crazy crazy poisonous spider that lives in their pools and it created a little air bubble and lived in there right and then it kind of you know does its thing or whatever and gets up the air bubble and you know the um the um when the bugs land close to the edge right cruises up in its air bubble and plucks them out cool story unless you're a kid swimming and you pop that air bubble and it bites you and then you're dead like they're not a cool story. You know, yeah. it's just, it's, it's amazing to me, right? That 
the diversity in ecology that we have, the diversity in food that we have, and in all this diversity and everything that we have that's so diverse, there's one thing that rings true everywhere. There's something poisonous that wants to kill you. <laughs> everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, I could tell you story after story like this, you know, um, of little things we've seen along the way. And, um, but, you know, we're, we're safe. And, and we've seen so many more beautiful, amazing things. And I wouldn't let a poisonous spider in a pool keep me from going to a beautiful country like Australia. I might not go swimming in the pools if I know it's there, you know? <laughs> and if I know that fair to lands, I mean, I, I like the fair to lands, one thing, this is one thing that a, a travel professional will do for you. That fair mm -hmm. to lands is all through the rainforest of, South America and Central America. So when I go to an Echo Lodge, for example, um, I was at one in Belize and I don't want to say the name because it's, it's very famous and beautiful. Okay. But when I went there, I was like, why are they letting the vines grow up onto the porch? Because that's how a snake gets up into your room, you know, going up those vines. And this was, this was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever seen, but, but not run by a real hotelier, but, you know, someone who, who has more of an artistic eye who made this beautiful lodge, but let these plants grow up onto the thing. You know, so I would go and tell the manager, I don't think you should do that. And they're looking at me like, well, you're a pain, but <laughs> I want people to be safe, you know, yeah. and I would rather send my clients to the real echo lodge who's made their lives doing echo lodges and helping communities. And they know about the snakes. They do things like, for example, at that lodge where we went, where the fair Delance had, had um, killed half that guy's brothers and sisters, they put the walkways and slits and the snakes can't, and then rocks along the side and the snakes can't go over that. So it prevents the snake from getting to your room. Oh, interesting. And so well thought out, intelligent place, you can see this beautiful Amazon forest and meet these incredible different people and drink this chicha that you would never have drank and, and see the macaws flying on the clay lake and beautiful experiences that you could never experience anywhere but there. And you're doing it with people who are well thought out how to keep you safe. Yeah, I think that's the key right there, right? I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head is, is A, having the relationships and B, having gone there and understanding what they're doing to create a safe environment, right? Where, you know, I, and, I, and I like that it's not, they're not going out and trying to kill every snake that's out there. They're saying, hey, we can create a walkway so you can walk back and forth to your room completely safe because the snake yeah. doesn't navigate this. Yeah. And I said, no, that gives me great comfort. Now, now I'm in, I'm back in. Yeah, back good. In that's good, you're back in, that's great. Yeah, and that's the thing, I mean, that, that safari lodge, I mean, the fact that I did that and my kids were that close to catastrophe, uh, every single family and every single person I've sent to Kenya since then and Tanzania, I've said, just, just, you know, you have to watch out for this. It's a terrible, scary story, but I'm telling you this because knowledge is power. And the more information and details I can give you to keep you safe before you travel, then, hey, you can have those wonderful, we saw cheetahs 
like five feet from our truck, whole family running and frolicking and playing. Oh my God, they were so cute. I'll remember that for the rest of my life, you know? So I don't want to keep people from having that experience, but I want them to have it safely. And I, and I've got that, that knowledge that I can part gift that to them, sure. um, to, to help them. And then the, the law just do everything they can, you know, to sit down and keep everybody safe too. Oh, I believe it. I, um, you know, it's interesting. I was, you're telling these stories about, you know, you didn't mention that lodge and, and I 100% respect that. You know, I was, we were, um, I was in Mexico. I think it was Cancun by a hotel. And we went, uh, went to this place, like, this is a great place to eat. It's a great place to eat. You got to go try it. Interior Mexican food, you know, it's, it's the jam. And I said, okay, yeah. perfect. I'm in. So we, family, we all go there. And uh, they've got this big sign. It's on a man-made lake, a huge man-made lake, a big sign water skiing, right? I was like, well, that's interesting to teach water skiing, but eh, you know, you never know who's going to learn water skiing. And then next to that sign and a little closer to us was another sign. Hey, this is super exciting. Watch for alligators. Huh? huh? So you're, you know, so I'm at a restaurant. It's now I understand why we're elevated off the ground a little bit. And now I see why these waiters are walking around with raw chicken. It's not a Fuddruckers where I get to pick out the dead chicken I want cooked. They're throwing it in the water, enticing the gators to come over, enticing the crocs or whatever in that area to come on over. And then people are like, watch this. So they'll give you a chicken leg and they'll give you a, and they'll give you a biscuit or a muffin, right? A day old muffin. Throw the muffin. You can hit right and square between the eyes. Thing doesn't move. Just a killing machine just sitting there. Doesn't even move. Then you take the chicken wing and you throw it. And as it leaves your hand, that sucker dips under the water and then explodes up and crack. And all I'm thinking is, so I had to ask, I'm like, question, this is neat. I'm glad we're feeding the animals. Sweet. The water skiing. Really? With the guys, the water skiing? And he goes, it's fine. They know they only come over here at night. It's a great philosophy for someone who doesn't speak reptilian to think and assume that one average afternoon, maybe the Hank, the, the terrorizer decides it's lunch. I'm going to go over there and see if they've got anything for me. But he doesn't wait till six or seven o'clock at night. It was just crazy. I was like, what do you guys what the hell is going on here? And then I was like, that's how we do it. Enjoy. Or Thailand where, they, where you can walk in, you know, with the, in the cages with the, uh, with the tigers. You gotta walk around with them. And I was just, I was blown away. One question. When was the last time the tiger was fed? And the guy laughed at me. I'm like, my wife's a toothpick, all right? <laughs> I am a full meal deal for Captain Tiger Pants over there, all right? Tony the Tiger's eyeing me up. He's seen where he's going to latch on, going to carry me away. I don't blame Tony the Tiger. When was the last time Tony was fed? So I get away my odds of getting in and out <laughs> appropriately. It's wow, there's so much to unpack there. Um, there you, about everything you just said. Uh, I know that, that we do a lot of things in travel that I, sometimes I'm like, really? We're going to go in a kayak here where there's hippos, you know? that can yeah, tuck us over, right? you know, and then they're like, well, we know where they are. Um, and we don't go to that area, you know? Um, so, you know, and, and I, 
I do so much research on getting the best people to, mm -hmm. to do these tours, so I trust them. Uh, I wouldn't go into a cage with a tiger for many reasons. Um, but, and, and as I've grown older and been in this business longer, I'm realizing that with the animal interactions, you have to be really careful that you're working with, some, you're going somewhere that is really um, take, treating the animals well. And this has become a whole new side of the business, you know? Um, and uh, so, you know, we're doing a lot of research on, you know, every little detail of how they're treating the animals that we're going to visit um, and making sure that we're supporting the ones that are being the kindest to them. Mm -hmm. And um, so, for example, on our elephant um, experiences, uh, there's a few like in Thailand, you if you want to go back to Thailand, you can go to Chiang Rai. And there's a um, the Four Seasons, but there's also another uh, hotel, the Anantara, and they work with um, a, a group which will teach you to be a mayhow for a day. So instead of you know being with uh, elephants that are chained up, you know you're 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 out working with these elephants and giving them a bath, and you know uh, so it's a little more humane. Um, and in Laos, where I wanted you to go, they have a chain-free elephant um, uh, place where they're, they're taking elephants and they're saving them from logging communities and, and other bad tourism places. And they're letting them live chain-free. And then you can go and walk with them in the jungle of Laos. Um, so we're doing a lot of research to find these uh, experiences that are um, really good for both the um, traveler and the animal itself. Um, and then as far as feeding the alligators to um, that, that I don't, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about that, that. I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I, I, I speak flippantly, obviously, you know, yeah. and a little hyperbolistic, but no, I mean, I am, one, I'm not down with, um, I think, people being a, a, a food source, uh, especially in a recreational area like that. I just, I just, I don't think it's smart. I just don't, you know. I Every don't. time I go to Mexico, I, I avoid Cancun. There's way too many people there for me. Um, but I, I go down the Yucatan, mm -hmm. uh, down the Maya Riviera, and there's so many fun things to, places to stay and to, to see. Um, all the cenotes of the region and and the diving and swimming with turtles and um, you know go go a little bit away from Cancun next time. No, absolutely. No, I, I agree. The interior of Mexico is is gorgeous. So here's here's my last question for you. My daughter's seven. Show her your Instagram. She goes, Dad, that's what I want to do. I'm like, well, who doesn't want to travel? Stop. But you've figured out how to make this a living and a business and to travel and take your kids and do this. So seeing how Harvard and Yale aren't turning out top tier travel experts, right? What is your recommendation for getting into this industry? And what do you think, you know, for the people who are out there, it might be a second career that they want to go into, or it might be a first because they just finished their first day at Goldman Sachs and they want to paper cut their eyes. So what, how did you get into it and what from your expertise? That's funny. So I have the perfect answer for you guys. I created during this COVID nightmare, a school. Hey. 
And you can have a business within my business. I will give you everything you need and, and show you how to market it. And I will help you design the itineraries. And I built a school and it's on my website. If you go to Yampu and go about to about us, there's a travel school there. Or uh, if you go to my Instagram, um, I have a link tree that has all my links there and my travel school is there. And um, I'll, I'll give you everything you need to do and to become a travel expert. And then you will be learning for the rest of your life. Because like you said, Yale and Harvard, they don't have the, you know, a program where you could just come out and be a travel expert. You get that by constantly learning because the world is constantly changing, you know? Uh, so for example, um, you know, I'm every single day I'm learning about something new or new place, a new Echo Lodge and, a new, you know, a new guy that I just have to work with, you know, a new experience. And so, um, you know, it's going to be a lifelong uh, time of learning. One thing you need to love are the details, the fun and the minute. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be patient you need to be able to answer lots of questions and emails and, and maybe sometimes say the same thing over and over again, or maybe read your clients, their documents, if they don't read them themselves, you know? Um, so you have to be really patient and really detail oriented and love travel. And then I'll teach you everything else you need to know. Is there, would you say, and I guess, especially with the detail side, you know, I think there's a difference between people that like to travel and people that want to um, give someone an experience through travel. Yeah. So a lot of people come to me that like to travel <laughs> and they think that working in the travel career will be fun and exciting, but most of the time for about how many weeks are there a year 54 52 52 yeah for most of those weeks you'll be sitting at your desk doing details you know uh doing a proposal redoing it redoing it six times seven times eight times you know until the client until the client loves it you know and then answering lots of good questions um, so if you love to travel, it doesn't mean you'll love selling travel. Um, but if you're empathetic and you want to live vicariously through your clients every day and think about travel every day and, and get to go to amazing places because you have to go check it out so that you can talk personally about it, um, then you'll love selling travel. Um, and the people that sell travel, um, you know, they all love people all over the world. They're very open, inclusive people. Um, they, are uh, love to eat almost every single person that works in travel loves to eat. Um, they are empathetic. So they, you have to get yourself into someone else's shoes. You know, not everyone's going to like what I like, you sure. know? So, um, you have to be able to put, uh, yourself into other people's shoes and you have to be really giving of your time. Um, and of your art, of your craft. I like that. I like that a lot. Monica, once again, let people know where they can find you, how they can book travel, give them the websites, the Instagrams, the easiest place for people to touch base with you. Yampu Tours, really easy. Y-A-M like Mary, P-U dot com. 
Um, and uh, Monica Arowski experiences on Instagram. Click my bio and you'll see all of my different um, links. That is awesome. Well, this, I mean, folks, The Ramen Girl, Brittany Murphy, fantastic movie. I do, I highly recommend it because uh, it just gives you an insight into the depth and preparation and understanding of, of, of a very delicate and uh, layered food that is not given its just, it's getting more and more, but not given its just respects, generally speaking. Uh, here in the U.S. And, you know, Monica, I, I appreciate your time in, in coming on and, and sharing your travel experiences and what you guys do and, and you know, how you're different. And, and that, that whole, I mean, what, what really resonated with me was two things that oddly enough, I've just kind of been having this theme with, with a lot of people is one, food, right? I mean, it is that dinner table. It is wherever that table's at, right? You're bringing people together. And yeah, Food's a magical thing and it's magical in every place you go from duck breast and Angoulême, you know, to and, and, and homemade croissants in the morning to actually going to a real Brazilian steakhouse in Baharan. It's just, yeah, you know, to, to everything in between, right? Um, you know, the, the cheese curds in Wisconsin and, and the, the, the gravy French fries in Canada. It is it's a bonding experience because it's the food that you can't get in other places, but it's also, it measures to your experience, right? It measures to the idea of travel. It measures to the people you bring and it, it, it measures to where you want to go next and how you want to go there. I mean, you know, food is such an integral part of get from getting you up in the morning to a nightcap, helping you go to sleep at night, whatever it may be in between. Uh, so I love that because I do believe at the end of the day is right. There's going to be a big dinner table. We're all going to be there. And you're going to be sitting next to people you love and maybe people you didn't like. But that food, that common bond, that initiative of experience that starts in the taste buds and then gets your butt out of a seat and takes you halfway across the world or halfway across a country. That's powerful. It really is. And it is. It's a beautiful fuel for travel. And it's a beautiful fuel for understanding people and the complexities and the natures of who they are and what they do. So thank you for this. Thank you for the time, you know, uh, and uh, I wish you guys all the best in, in everything that you're doing. Uh, if there's a new place or anything uh, coming up down the road that you was like, oh, Jason, this just opened up and we love it. Let me know. Um, uh, I'll either bring you back on or I'll mention it on the podcast myself. Okay. Thank you very much. I'll think of you and send you ideas. Awesome. Well, you have a wonderful week ahead. And uh, after this post, the following day, I will shoot you an email with the top countries and top cities that it's being listened in and just the overall first 24-hour numbers. Perfect. Um, I'll send you all my um, links. Maybe yep. you can put them on the... Email me all the links. I'll put them in the description. And then um, some I'll put in the uh, Instagram stuff as well. So we'll get you all tied up. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. You have a wonderful. You Bye. too. Bye-bye.